welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with a VHS tape to the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-hosts Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. There are no late fees, but unreturned tapes will be hunted down by that whale from Free Willy. So if you could take your tape to the nearest ocean or inlet so he can jump over you as he plucks the tape out of your hand in a spectacular fashion, that'd be super. Thanks for your help. This is Weird Kid Video. Pre-old business business? Yeah, this is in the podcast. It finally happened. We talked for so long that we're splitting our Highlander episode into two parts so that we don't have to cut it down to within an inch of its life, which I guess means that there can only be two. So here is part one of our in-depth discussion of Highlander. I hope you enjoy and come back next week for the shocking conclusion. Old business? I, I hear you and I know I owe some old business. I've been listening to some pods and I have made claims that I would come with old business and I haven't, but I will prepare and I'll have all my old business things for next week. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm going to get a birdie old business section. There may be old business next week going, I didn't do any of my old business. <laughs> be prepared for an extra long podcast next week as Brody airs all, his, all of his misinformation. All my dirty laundry. Yeah, all my misinformation. All not. Makes many apologies. Yeah. Come out swinging. You said this and I said that. Brody's apology tour. <laughs> For all I the things to. I've said on the podcast. I really should. New business? I watched um, the movie twice this week. Oh, good boy. Because uh, I told you You know, so. if I'd looked at the back of this, I probably wouldn't have thought that this movie was very um, Wait, we're not. I mean, I haven't even. Can you stop? <laughs> You're ruining it. You're killing me. I haven't even done my intro. Let me do my intro and then you can do that bit. Okay. But I haven't even told the audience what Second the movie intro. is. We must provide context for the listener. <laughs> the title of the podcast will tell them what they're listening yeah, to. Yeah, that's true. No. <laughs> People don't read. People just click. Okay. Jesus Christ. No one reset. I'm reset. Just, reset. I'm just done. Reset. Done. Reset. Dude, it's the end of the podcast. <laughs> this is it, guys. It's the last episode. Please enjoy. Uh, we have to wait for, for Roller Boys to come back. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy how sad you is are. Is this because I didn't let you guys like talk shit for 10 minutes before I started? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, I have a lot of notes. I feel like we're going to be the naughty kids yeah, in class this episode. <laughs> he seems already upset I need coffee. Uh-huh. Imagine Keen is a school teacher. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're talking about what might be the most epic, dorkiest, cool movie of all time. We're talking about the one and only although there are sequels. Highlander from 1986. (laughs) From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. man uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. 
It's not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, McLeod. I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. I am immortal. <laughs> A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much, for he is not alone. In the end... There can be only one. There can be only one. And here we are, we're the princes of the universe. Here we belong, fighting for survival. We've come to be the rulers of the world. You know, if I'd looked at the back of this, I probably would have realized that this movie isn't uh, Braveheart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you seriously think it was Braveheart going into it? I didn't think it? it was the actual... I thought it was similar to... I've seen Braveheart. I obviously hmm. knew that this wasn't literally Braveheart, but just uh, looking at the, like, the front of it and I, I just... I thought that it was all the old-timey stuff. I didn't know it had the, the 80s stuff. Dude, I literally have in my notes, like... It is either the set designer or the costume designer who worked on Braveheart. For <laughs> sure. For sure. None of the above. Yeah. Dude, the huts are the same. The way they tie the blue things in the hair. I think that's just Scotland. the same time. <laughs> but like, frame. it is like exactly Braveheart. Like, you could swap the face for Mel Gibson's face so easily. There is actually actors in Braveheart that are in this movie. Yes, there is. Angus. Angus is in Braveheart. Yeah. yeah. When he's no longer in Braveheart in this movie, he um, is dressed like uh, Jack Death from Future Cop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. For like the, the majority coat. of it. Good yeah. Well, it's an iconic look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's even got the wet hair because dry, dry hair is for squids. Okay. Yep. But Direct- he does it like multiple times. Directed by Russell McCahey. Uh, he was born in Melbourne, but grew up in a city a little ways south of Sydney, which is the city that we live in. Mm. What? So he grew up here. Yeah. He went to high, uh, Keen's High School. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned yeah. it like four times on the podcast. Yeah. So he I went to the That's not allowed- more of like a famous thing for our town. You would think. Yeah. Why aren't we? In that circumstance, can't we just name the city that we're in? <laughs> Are we trying to be super just, mysterious? Just fearful of the internet. Yeah, someone work it out, but you can't. Uh, it's, it's not hard. I mean, you can <laughs> just really Google not. us and find oh, out. Oh, you can just Google where he grew up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah literally. Um, he worked as an editor uh, at Channel 7 um, mm. and then began to make a name for himself directing music videos in the early days of music videos. He directed music videos for ACDC, uh, Culture Club, Duran Duran, The Human League. He directed the Buggles video killed the radio star. Shit. Which was the first video ever played on MTV. Yeah, that's awesome. When people talk about MTV style filmmaking, music video filmmaking, they are talking about the style that Russell Mulcahy brought to music videos and cinema. That is fucking He's awesome. Like the pioneer of that of that style. His first feature. I can't film, picture the the video. For the buggles? Yeah. 
I know I've seen it. Look okay. it up in your own time. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I will. Uh, his first feature film, he had made a documentary, like a live comedy documentary thing. Oh my in, god! In, if in, you were about to say it was a documentary that you worked on when you were coming up, I would be like, "What? I wish." <laughs> you know awesome. what I would give to spend like an hour with Russell Mulcahy? Like, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. He, He's still kicking. Oh, we're doing a process. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, think, the do you think that I'm not going to talk about what, what he's doing and where he's been? Like, you say you listen to the podcast. <clears throat> I do, but then I come here and I black out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, after <laughs> fucking hell, this is going to be a bad part. I'm just uh, everybody. His first feature film is the Australian exploitation classic Razorback in 1984, which is. Jaws with a giant pig in the outback. That is like a cult movie. I it swear a, I've seen that. I've talked to you about that movie a few times because okay. I fucking love that movie. He references that movie all the time. Yeah. It might be one of those things where you feel like you've seen it because of the amount of times he's like talked to you this to go movie. see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or shown you the trailer. I'm pretty sure I've shown you the trailer. Okay, okay. Um, that, movie was a, that movie was a flop. That movie did not do well. Was it good though? It's an exploitation movie. It's a very trashy movie. It has a very similar kind of visual uh, language to Highlander, and people did not respond to it. Are we going to do it on the pod? Fuck yeah, we are. Fuck yeah. I on VHS. All right, I want to watch it then. He went back to music videos and then directed Highlander, which is also not much of a hit in cinemas. Yeah. It was a bigger hit in Europe. Europe enjoyed it more than the US. But it became a, a cult movie on home vi- on home video. Like its legend was born on home video on home video. It was made to be a blockbuster, though, right? Yeah. Well, it's not a massive budget movie, but really, it, but it seems like it is. It's got some pretty big names in it, and it's like the well, destruction that happens in. It the, has one big name in it. Yeah, the true. And we'll talk about him when when he makes his yeah. glorious appearance. <laughs> his um, glorious appearance. Yeah, but it was not a it was not a big it wasn't a big hit. And McKay went on to direct the sequel, Highlander 2, The Quickening. I'm not going to get into that movie right now. Yeah, I'm keen to watch that. Because it's a total clusterfuck. Is there like eight fucking movies? Yeah, there's a few sequels. The third movie ignores the second movie. Oh, that sucks. And then the things get complicated because there was a TV show. Yeah. Two TV shows. and then It would the, suit a TV format, they I reckon. introduced the TV characters into the movie world and cross them over huh. and ch- change a lot of continuity all over again because huh. the TV had kind of re- already rewritten the rules. And they kind of keep on going on into the early 2000s. I think the last movie is like 2005. Number two's quality. You like number two, don't you? Number two is notorious. I don't okay. understand how okay. there's only, but there's already only one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. How do they make a sequel? Russell Mulcahy on the director's commentary for this movie also wonders how the fuck they made a sequel, and he directed <laughs> the sequel. We will. Uh, I don't want to talk about the sequel here because we're going to watch the sequel. We and should. Do. I really want to talk about the quality of the sequel within the context of its relationship with this movie yeah, when fair. we're talking about that that movie. Can I just say though, we should like watch a version with the director's commentary like when we when we do this pod we should all watch it so we get an idea of but the then director I, then I wouldn't have any notes yeah <laughs> true <laughs> because my sourcing for this episode is from the director's commentary for this for this movie and there are a lot of notes yeah <laughs> there are a lot yeah, of yeah we're going to be here all day <laughs> we should order lunch if you if you go stop talking i'll continue <laughs> i'll get through my notes quickly maybe we should just not talk just yeah i know we could i could yeah. just do this on my fucking spicy today <laughs> after this he directed uh, ricochet blue ice the real mccoy the shadow i really like the shadow some straight to dvd junk 
before returning to the big screen with Resident Evil Extinction. Oh, fuck. In 2007, it's the third one in the Resident Evil movies. Um, he also directed a bunch of TV, um, some Tales from the Crypt, The Hunger, Queer as Folk. And then from 2011 to 2017, 40 episodes of the MTV Teen Wolf reboot TV show. There are some of big which names on there. Producer. He directed one episode of 13 Reasons Why okay. uh, for Netflix. In so not only just doing well, like he is one of the like culture making. He's still working. Yeah. yeah. In 2018, he directed an Aussie film called In Like Flynn about uh, Errol Flynn pre-Hollywood. It's an, advent- an adventure movie. I haven't seen it. I really want to see it because okay. I like Russell McKay and Errol Flynn's life story is fucking insane. Mm. And he's currently directing the upcoming Teen Wolf movie based on the MTV show, which I think is out next year sometime. Okay. So I think it's, it's it one was of those. kind of like, it was like Riverdale, like way too pretty kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried to watch it a few times and I never made it past like first Yeah, or you guys episode. like Riverdale though, don't you? We've talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, you do. You don't hate it, but it's kind We of watched beautiful. the first season. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we never made it to season, to season two. Yeah, but cool, I like cool, the, cool. I like the style of it and Team Wolf is also similarly, it has a style to it as well. Okay. But it's a little just too, too soapy teen yeah. drama for me. Yep. Yeah, I think I, I think you might like it, Kira. I feel like it would be a show that you you would get into. Um, Lots of interpersonal drama. Yeah, it's a lot of personal drama with you know werewolves, mm, teenage okay. werewolves. Yeah, that does sound like me. Also, <laughs> yeah. the original screenplay for Highlander was written by Gregory Wyden. He wrote this script in film school as an assignment. <laughs> That was some of my best writing work. (laughs) And then sold it while he was still in film school. Fuck yeah. Nice work. His next movie after this was Backdraft, based on the three years he spent as a firefighter while he was also in film school. That was a hit for a brief moment. Yeah, it was a big movie. It was Kurt Kurt Russell and um, a bunch of other people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One of the bold ones. Yeah. I like that movie. I haven't seen seen that movie in a long time. Yeah, I could give or take it. He wrote and directed a cult movie called The Prophecy with Christopher Walken about an angel uh, civil war that spills over to Earth. Oh, fuck, that sounds a, familiar. And also there's like five sequels to that movie. There's wow. tons of sequels to that. Turned into a, it turned into a home video franchise. They just okay. churned out straight to video. I wonder movies. if like that's how you become rich, home video <laughs> franchises. You know what I mean? Cause like, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. He's since become a novelist and he's kind of mixed and bitter about this movie. <laughs> Because they changed his script a lot. Yeah, fair. His script was apparently a lot more serious. It had it was less jokey. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize like how much this is like semi comedy until like a, like I don't know at least forty five minutes in. It has a lot of humor. It has a yeah. ton, ton of humor in it. His script was rewritten by Peter Bellwood and Larry Ferguson. Bellwood would also write Highlander too. Uh, and Ferguson's credit is working on Beverly Hills Cop Two, Hunt for Red October, Alien Three. Fuck yeah. And the uh, horrendous Rollerball remake from 2002, which is his last credit. And so terrible at making so. sequels makes pretty good independent IP. Or independent IP? I don't um, understand. You know, original, original movies, not sequels. Because like the other ones were pretty good movies. Yeah. And then Rollerball sequel, The Quickening. Well, Beverly Hills Cop 2 is a sequel. Oh, true, 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 true. Alien 3 is a sequel. Fuck. You're putting holes in my logic. Maybe I don't listen so good. It's not hard when you shoot yourself in the face. (laughs) When you create more holes in your face. (laughs) When I open my mouth. For your logic to just fall out I do tend to embarrass myself. (laughs) 
starring Christoph Lambert, which is the correct pronunciation of his of his name, but most people just call him Christopher Lambert. What a fucking <laughs> forehead on that kid. But those eyes, man. <laughs> yeah, but his also that accent. Eyes. Oh, we'll talk about Oh, my God. Before this, he had had uh, supporting roles in French movies. And in 1984, he starred in his first English language movie as Tarzan in the prestige uh, version of Tarzan called Greystoke. I could see him as Tarzan. Where he doesn't talk a lot. Mm. Mulcahy saw a picture of him as Tarzan in a magazine when they were casting and said, this is the guy. Dude, you know what though? Like you look at that forehead and you think, yeah, Tarzan, ancient Scotsman, someone who like kind of resembles a like- Cro-Magnum like caveman. That is his forehead. I don't think his forehead's that that <laughs> Oh my God, dude. Yes, he looks like a, a pre-human being. Like that's <laughs> that's how, like, <laughs> that's what it does to me over here. Okay. <laughs> Kira, do you have thoughts about the size of Christopher Lambert's forehead? I mean, he certainly has a prominent forehead, but I don't think it's, I don't think, I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> I, I saw a photo of him older and he grew into his forehead. Okay. That that hairline is doing nothing for him. Okay. <laughs> um, what Mulcahy didn't know when he cast him is that Lambert did not really speak English. Oh, no. Oh, no. no wonder he's so awkward we'll throughout a, this whole film. We'll talk a little bit more about yeah, his performance all the way, all the wow. way through. Wow. He'd go on to star in four of the Highlander movies. How do you not pull him and put someone else in when you find that out? Because he's the right person for the role. Oh, uh, yeah. He kind of makes the movie. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because he has that intensity and those eyes. <laughs> those creepy, creepy eyes. He has like in- he has like super intense eyes. Yeah, he looks he comes off creepy in a lot of the okay, scenes. This is just going to go real badly. <laughs> he has over like a hundred movie credits. He's been in yeah. lots and lots of movies. Some of the ones that we might talk about in the podcast are Fortress, um, Gunmen, Mortal Kombat. He's yeah. Raiden in Mortal yeah. Kombat. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. And another uh, Russell Mulcahy movie called Resurrection. Sean Connery as Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. What the Spanish fuck do I peacock. need to say about, about Sean Connery? It's one of his greatest roles. Honestly. Playing, playing a Spanish Egyptian it's, with a Scottish accent. It's, yeah. it's Bond and then this for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then The Rock. What's the one where he's like a bandito in underwear? Uh, Zardoz. Yeah, a science fiction that's movie. the one. Yeah, he does look like a bandito. He's not a bandito. He's, a, <laughs> he's from the future. There's giant stone heads floating around. <laughs> what is, is Sean Connery's fucking, fucking career? That's an insane movie. <laughs> uh, Clancy Brown as the Kurgan. Oh, Sergeant Zim himself. Yeah, Sergeant Zim. The man. I love this dude. Sergeant Zim from Starship Troopers. Yeah. He has over 300 film and TV credits. Dude, he's fucking amazing. A working man. He's also in Pet Cemetery. You already named checks Starship Troopers. Uh, There's also a very short-lived HBO show called Carnival, where he plays an evil priest that I really, really did. Yeah, I think I watched that. It's from like the early 2000s. It's when HBO, before Game of Thrones, HBO would make these big budget shows where they would spend way too much money on them. And then they weren't massive hits because they were also like super art house. And then they would get disappointed and cancel them after two years. And he's also a voice actor. He's voice he's so, so much things. stuff. Yeah. All the like DC and Marvel yep. and and cartoons like all over the place. He yeah, if you've watched a kid, if you've video, watched a kid, if you've watched a cartoon through the nineties and two thousands, 
He's done a voice, yeah. yeah. And he's still working. Um, most recently, he was in the uh, revival of the Dexter TV show. The revival of it? Yeah, it came back. Oh. This is too many, too, there's too many movies, too many TV shows. Dexter came back. They did a new season. Hectic. Was it good? I, I don't know. I didn't watch it. I yeah. gave up on Dexter after like season one. So, yeah, well, yeah. it got too convoluted after that. Yep. You will see him next year in John Wick 4. Dope. I saw on Twitter today an interesting theory that he was cast in John Wick 4 because Chad uh, Stileski, the director of the John Wick movies, is attached to the Highlander reboot and is just a massive fan of the original movie. Fucking, he fucking crushed this movie. Yeah, he's great. Oh my God, he kills every fucking role he's in. He always brings so much fucking energy to his roles. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Mm. And Roxanne Hart as Brenda White. She's worked on and off in movies, but more often in TV. She's currently on the soap opera, The Young and the Restless, which is somehow still a thing in the year. (laughs) Yeah, wow. I don't know. So she's still flying around. No trailers this week. No. Yeah, I was never. Yeah, once again. Oh, because this is the the commercially available version, and it's also the widescreen version of the of the movie yeah. on VHS, which is kind of a treat. Um, yeah, it's a treat, fun. but it's a bit. It's a bit weird. Pointless when you're watching it on a four three screen. Yeah. I um. <laughs> oh, on your screens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what? How? How do you watch it then? It's, well, it's do you just, just put it on it, normal TV? No, it was just it. It, it just cropped it, to the top of the um, box. Yeah, letterbox. Uh, yeah, okay. Yep, it's letterbox. Oh, but also watching it on the 4K is wow. cropped both ways. It's pillar boxed and letterboxed. Wow, yep. <laughs> not a good time. Which oh, is, is that why letterboxed is called letterbox? Yes. <laughs> wow, because That's it's like it. a letter slot. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got it now. Which one of you is going to recap the premise of Highlander? Oh, who wants to do it? You look like you want to do it. Well, I'm excited, excited to do it. Face. I'm going to fuck this right up, though. We'll go right ahead. It is the story of a young, lovely lady. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> it is about this secret race of immortals that have to fight so that there's only one left and we follow that struggle. Oh, that was so terrible. <laughs> um, that was, I mean, it was accurate, but it was a bit awkward. <laughs> an ancient Scotsman fights to be the only one left of an of a immortal race that is among humans. Something. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. I wish I could remember the opening narration. <laughs> the movies and video guide from the year of 1998, the entry for Highlander reads such. Nonsensical fantasy about an immortal race of Scots with nothing better to do than to carry on a family feud for eternity. Lambert and Connery try hard, but the script is too silly to allow the quality to shine, followed by a TV series and two sequels, two and a half stars. I was pretty spot on. (laughs) I was pretty spot on. Well, they're not all Scottish. They're not an immortal race of Scots. Yeah. That definitely got some things wrong. Sean Connery's an Egyptian Spaniard. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how that works. My brain hurts. No Janet Maslin. Never. Does she even review things anymore? No, it seems like we were just on a run of movies that she had talked about and she's never going to review anything that we talk about again. But, you know, also she blocked us, so why give her airtime? We need to take her down from her pedestal and we need to find a more prolific uh, reviewer. I did find a contemporary review from uh, the Washington Post in 1986 from the critic Paul. uh, I didn't even think about how to pronounce his surname. Paul Antonazio. I got it. I just had well to sound it, sound it out in my brain. <laughs> Strapping kids. <laughs> I've edited this for clarity and length. 
The outline of the story is the same as the Terminator. Time travel is just in a different direction. But that only reminds you of how clean the dramatic lines of that movie were. Here, the script by Gregory Wyden is profoundly derivative, poorly structured, and jokey in a dull way. Russell Mackay has directed it at a perpetual scream. The camera style is grotesquely overwrought, a relentless exercise in technique for technique's sake. It's all here, folks. Fancy wipes, expressionistic angles, quick cut close-ups, stylized backlighting, camera moving in endless, illogical moves. It's as if a 15-minute history of film technique had been compiled by a psychotic. The film's music seesaws crazily from conventionally mushy score by Michael Kamen, Kamen to the slashing, but no better, heavy metal music of Queen. As McLeod's mentor, Sean Connery is not quite the actor Yoda was, although he is taller, and the fey cartoon-faced Lambert is no action hero. He's more believable as an antique stealer. A French actor, he essays English with a Scottish tinge, and it winds up sounding like Brzezinski. Highlander is rated R and contains graphic violence and profanity. There were parts to that that were accurate, but that ain't it, fam. That ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. Nah, that ain't that ain't this film. Fuck, man. That Oi, guy did I will not say, like this movie. Yeah, I will say the technique for technique's sake, that's pretty spot on. Like, there is so much going on in this film. Yes, but it's what makes the movie what it is. I fucking love and it. And it's what makes it, made the movie fucking immortal. Making notes for this film fucking sucked. Because every time I wanted to write something down, I had to pause it because there was just so much happening in one scene. You know what I mean? Every scene, there's so much happening. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But I think it also does it a disservice. You know what? Like, I think think (laughs) that's what makes this movie great. But I think that's what maybe would have gotten the way of its blockbuster success. Don't you reckon? It's what made it a hit on home video. Yeah, but don't you reckon when there's, like, just too much happening, mainstream audiences don't really jam with it and it finds... That's what I feel. I don't... No, I don't think so. I got way less confident of what I was saying halfway <laughs> through. That that's because of the way I looked at you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. This movie is widely available on Blu-ray. In fact, I bought it on Blu-ray this week so I could listen to the director's commentary. It's also streaming in most parts of the world. My backstory, this is a schoolyard movie. One that you heard about and then went and saw? Yeah, it's a movie that I remember kind of spreading through the cultural you know, zeitgeist of my, of my school in primary school. You know, kids quoting... They can be only one to each other. Like, it's just, <laughs> I remember th- when this movie was a big deal. I remember it kind of just floating through. So through when it came culture. out, it was a mainstream success. Not in, not at the box office on videotape. Yeah, but in terms of, like, the culture, it was mainstream. It grew It grew in time and had a cultural moment. Yeah, in, and, in and that culture, time. And that cultural moment echoes on because how many TV shows can you think of where they parody there can be only one. Yeah. I mean, what about how many movies are the exact same concept? Yeah. There's also there's also that. There's the old guard, which came out last year on Netflix with Charlize Theron. Yeah. That is basically just Highlander. The one with Jet Li. Yep. yep. <laughs> the exact same film. Yeah. So it's been it's been ripped off. It's influential and it's been ripped off. Yeah. And it's been used for parts and everything everywhere all at once, kinda. Did you finally watch that? I finally watched that oh, fucking fuck yeah. baller, right? How good is that fucking <laughs> so movie? Fucking good. Oh my god. Oh my god. It is like ugh, we need to gush about it off pod because yeah, I've okay. got so much to say about it. Yeah, it's the it's like my favorite movie. Yeah, it's fucking wild. Yeah. I don't know 
if it's a. If it, I don't know whether it's Highlander though. Uh, no, but kind of like there's that. It's a kitchen sink movie, and Highlander yeah. is a kitchen sink movie. Yeah, from yeah. that perspective, yeah. But yeah. the plot is not. And it's also got the like kind of multiple. Yeah, but they're all the same time. Yeah, not, instead of it's not multiple universes, this is different times. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's also a movie that I've had an on and off again love affair with. You've hated this movie at times. I haven't liked this movie at times. I loved it as a, as a kid. I saw this with my dad. My father is Scottish. Mm. So this felt like a connection to my people. Yeah. Right. Um, a lot of it was shot around um, the Isle of Skye, which is where my people are, my people are from. Yeah. So it's even the, the, those landscapes, that's where my people were, <laughs> which meant a lot to me as a kid. It's a tournament movie. It's got, it's epic. It's got sword fighting, but to be honest, the kind of I hadn't seen it in a while and I knew there was endless sequels that just got lamer and lamer. And then there's the TV show. And I remember watching the TV show and being like, what the fuck is this? Really? It's it, that bad. It just wasn't my thing. I it is on Amazon Prime. I thought about revisiting it before uh, before we potted, but I decided I would do it afterwards because I don't want it to taint anything. Yeah. But I remember not being into the show. And I remember having friends that were into the show that thought it was the fucking coolest thing in the world and me watching it and just thinking, this is just lame. This is I just I will say, really like, with bad. TV shows, the bar is definitely lower for me. If it's got a good concept, that will get me across the line a lot of the time. Yeah, I just remember not enjoying it until I kind of got older and finally kind of revisited it probably within the last 10 or 15, 10 or 15 years. And by that point, I had been a director for, for a long period of time and fell back in love with it because the style is completely my my fucking brand of gum. Like it's, yeah. it's backlighting and all the shit that the reviewer hated is my shit. The yeah. backlighting and like going from like crazy wide angles to crazy to crazy close-ups, the camera movement, the crazy pace, the mu- the way the music and the imagery all works together. It's just why did I ever let this movie fall out of fall out of my life? Dude, I started off like going to write notes about certain shots or like scenes and then it was just every single scene and I just <laughs> stopped making notes about it. <laughs> One of the reasons that my notes are so long is because there's going to be a lot of camera talk. Yeah, man. So if you're not if you're not into technique this is not going to be the podcast for you. I, I knew you were going to have this shit, so I, I stopped doing it because I knew I would. I, I think you don't need me, to write notes because you know that I'm going to talk about everything. You're you going to have the detail. About. I'm going to have the feel. That's yeah. all I need. Yeah. So I guess we should talk through Highlander. Please. 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 Thank you. Please talk me through this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, we open with with some text and a, and a voiceover from Sean Connery's character, Ramirez. Mm-hmm. They want you to know he's in the movie up front because he's not going to show up for about 40 minutes, right? Yeah. So they want you to know. It's okay. He's in the movie. We swear he's in the movie. And they also want you to know he ain't doing anything about his accent. <laughs> <laughs> he is not. <laughs> uh, infamously, this voiceover was recorded by Sean Connery in the bathroom of his Spanish villa. <laughs> After production was over. It sounded so shitty. Well, okay, so there's this there's this thing that people talk about, like, oh, that's why it's so reverby. And I'm like, no bullshit. That's not why it's reverby. They added fucking reverb in post-production. Yeah. I'm sure there was a little echoey because they recorded in a bathroom. But that that presence, that reverb presence, that's post-production. That's it's one of those urban myths that comes about about a movie because people hear it was recorded in a bathroom and then just make the assumption yeah. that's why it's echoey. And it's like if you think about film production for ten seconds, you will understand that that's not a true story. It definitely yeah, but then <laughs> 
like you think about some of the film production that we've talked about on this yeah. pod, oh, and you're yeah, like, oh true. yeah, it could be true. Yeah, <laughs> this text and the voiceover is trying to like you know kind of set up the myth and stuff, but when you actually listen to it, it does not. It, there's nothing in there. The only thing that's in there is the the you know we will gather at the time we've lived among you and we will we will come together at the time of the gathering, but it really doesn't actually do any any setup. <laughs> yeah. And actually. When I think about it, if it did like explicitly set up the movie, like some other, there's a tendency in particular in complicated, and I use complicated in air quotes if no one on a podcast, complicated science fiction movies or think movies with lots of lore and philosophy to worry that it's going to take the audience an hour to figure it out. So yeah. let's put something at the front that just kind of like sets a bunch of stuff up or tells them what's happening so that we, so that they're comfortable straight yeah. away. And this kind of feels like that, but it also is vague enough that I actually think it, it's kind of fine. I think, honestly, it's a mood setter in this oh, film. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a mood setter in this film. It doesn't it dis explain the world very much, but, yeah, we know what the world is going to be like from a few key words, but it's mostly a mood setter. Mm. Um, what I'm confused about, though, is the line, they didn't, uh, people didn't know about us until now. Because the movie. <laughs> but like, because you're watching the movie, but that when tells you about the fact that they've been with us. <laughs> but when are people finding out in like ancient Scotland? That's, or what, like... I, that's what I mean. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And our first Queen song over the over the credits, Princess of the Universe. I yeah. The soundtrack is like it's fucking it's dope. fucking great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Queen were asked to do one song, and they came back with four. <sighs> Each of the band members has their own song that they it was oh. their idea throughout the throughout the movie. There was I don't think and they they worked pretty well in partnership with the composer Michael Kamen and I'll talk a little bit more about that later on in in the in the podcast. I am um, being someone who is a fair weather fan of many like pivotal musicians. So like I love Queen's big songs, but I never really listened to Queen. Every fucking song of theirs is just like it hits, man. Especially hits. in this movie. Yeah, this movie. yeah. I'm kind of the same. I think I'm a Queen fan because of this movie. Really? Yeah, I think so. And I do like Queen's music, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever go put on a Queen album. Yeah, you know what I mean. Me but neither. I would listen to the soundtrack of this movie or these songs in a Spotify mix that is yeah. soundtrack movies because I have lots of those. Yeah, you do. <laughs> They're very useful. They are useful very for mood useful. Setting. <laughs> Especially during like Dungeons and Dragons yes. or board games or whatever. It's just like through that, that I have, oh, I've got a playlist for that. Just for the audience's uh, knowledge, when you go to these guys' house to do anything really, you have a backing track. It's yep. really, really great. Yeah, I really we, appreciate we, we, it. We always have a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Well done, you guys. Our first scene is at Madison Square Garden. At a WWF show, right? Right? This was shot at a WWF show. It's not a WWF show. WCW? It's not a WCW show. It's a A... Uh, fuck, I wrote it down. AEW? No. no. What? What's AEW? AEW is only like three. Literally just had their three third year I don't know. I just know that that's a thing. Um, It's a American Wrestling Association show, AWA. Okay. Yeah. It, it was at Madison Square Garden, so I just kind of assumed it was WWF because WWF always do like WrestleMania and stuff. Like they always have big shows at Madison really? Square Garden. Really? Because I like was here sitting like, 
they wouldn't have filmed this at actual Madison Square Garden. Like wrestling doesn't go to Madison Square wrestling Garden. Wrestling goes to Madison yeah. Square Garden. It's, it's like the home of WWE. It's the home. It's oh, like really? literally their, their home. This uh, McMahon gets very field. upset when other people do wrestling shows at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Okay. This isn't Madison Square Garden. Ah. Uh, it's billed in the movie as Madison Square Garden. They do a shot later not. where they're outside of Madison Square Garden. This is not Madison Square Garden. Uh, this is the Meadowlands Arena in New Jersey. That is a fact that I found out yesterday. <laughs> For my entire life, I have thought that that was Madison Square Garden. Well, that's because yep. wrestling happens at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> yeah. So they shot the inside of the Meadowlands. The wrestlers are uh, Greg Gage, uh, Jim Bronzel, and the Tonga Kid versus the fabulous Freebirds, Michael P.S. Hayes, Terry Gordo, and Buddy Roberts. The Tonga Kid, uh, whose real name is Sam Fatu, is the father of the Usos, ah. who are currently a tag team in WWE. And the cousins to Roman Cousins Reigns. to Roman Reigns, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was a... Uh, Brody reacting like he knows who any of these people are. I know who Roman Reigns is. He's the really good-looking dude who looks like Jason Momoa. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a real show that they shot at. They yeah. put 10 cameras on it. And had ten minutes to shoot all like all their coverage. The 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 flying camera was that like we do NRL here with the like cords and it flies around on the cable. Yes, fuck yeah, <laughs> I knew some. Yeah, the match starts. Uh, I just want to quickly highlight the three birds are in Confederate flag robes. I just <laughs> just feel like it's my. I just got to point it out. Thank you. It's a different time. Yeah, we get what is maybe one of the coolest character introductions of all time. Like in the history of cinema, I think this is up there. I could stack this with somebody, with somebody else. Such a strong starting to a film. Yeah. So the shot starts on a TV in the arena and then swoops down and around the ring before heading back up into the nosebleeds to find Connor McLeod sitting in the stands with a fucking perfect eye light. Yeah. This was, at the time, the first movie to use a very new piece of technology. It's the Skycam. It was invented by Gareth Brown, who's the inventor of the Steadicam. And now- What a man. This kind of cable cam is everywhere. Like it's in, we watch it in Formula One, NFL, NFL uses it. Yeah. But at the time, it's brand new. This is this is the first usage, so ever. It, yep. My understanding it's, is it's it, wires. Yeah, it's a cable. It's a cable operated camera. Like it's almost like cross wires. Yeah, it's cross wires, and then there's motors that pull the camera in, in diff- different in different angles. directions. And the wires can move on the side, so it literally can move in any direction. It can basically you can move and it. you can like loosen the cable to like go in closer to go, and stuff. To go and lower and all kinds of fucking all kind, awesome. And all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's an incredible piece of equipment. There is a cut in the shot. Was it just going up to the stands to get you, closer? You spotted it. Yeah. 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 So um, it's hidden by camera flashes. So they use people taking uh, flash photography to put, add in a white frame. And then uh, on the other side of the white frame, it's a different shot. Now, the reason that they did that is because Mulcahy wanted a crazy wide angle for the sweeping stuff. But then in order to land in a close up of Connor McLeod in the stands, the camera would have to be basically three centimeters away from his face. So the cut is there to hide a lens change. Yeah. Uh-huh. The only reason I suspected it was there is because I feel like there's a couple of frames that look weird, like they're slower almost or... It's just the flashing. No? It's just the cut in the, fla- cut in okay. the flashes, yeah. And so they push into a, to a close-up of him. Also, this show was filmed for broadcast and once upon a time on the WWE Network, which kind of doesn't exist in places anymore and all got switched over to Peacock or something else, Yeah. Um, in the Hidden Gems section, in the broadcast footage of this show... You can see the sky cam in the back of the shot. Fuck yeah. You can see them running takes. 
mad. Looking around, I tried to find the like name and date of the show so people could look it up if they've got access to whatever the WWE network. It's still the WD, uh, WWE network here, but I know that in other territories it's changed. But it seems like it may no longer be there. What I did find was a tweet by David uh, Bixenspan that shows the shot from the movie and the shot from the broadcast in the same video. And I'm going to link it in the show notes so that people, so that people can check it out. It shows the shot from the opening of the movie and then it Man. shows the actual broadcast footage where the, where the camera flies through the background. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yep. I didn't, were, you, were you done? Yeah. I was just laughing about the guy behind him. Who does that to strangers in the crowd? Drunk people at wrestling. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, drunk people at we, any sporting I've event. A, I've been sat next <laughs> We've to... We've been those people. <laughs> We've been those people, yeah. I'm we sorry, what drunk. did the guy behind him do? He's he was yelling, just like... He's like shaking jerking him and his yelling, shoulder. And going, oh, what is this? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. no, that, yeah. you would yeah. definitely do that at a wrestling show. <laughs> yeah, we've been the... We have been at, a re- at shitty wrestling shows in small arenas where it was clear that the wrestlers knew that we were there and we drew heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is was, like, remember the time that I, that I heard them talking backstage yeah. and they, they, yeah. they, they said to play to us because I think they called us hot or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, that part of the room's hot. It's yeah. like, yeah, damn straight we are. We're, we're drunk as shit. That is anyway, one yeah, of like, them. We're having a good time. most cherished memories, hey. Such I love abusing that dude and he would have loved <laughs> it too. That dude. He would have loved it because that's what he does, right? Yeah, yeah, we were just, we were playing along like we he played, a, we heel? acted like yeah. He was a heel, thank you. And we played along. We acted like we were at a like proper yeah yeah professional wrestling show for like broadcast you know television, and we were the only people playing <laughs> playing along. And, and there, there was, was like, like fucking 50, forty people yeah. in that room. Yeah, we were like booing the heel and like being like you <laughs> Just know being jerks being to jerks to the heel, which is what you in meant a fun to do. way. Yeah, yeah. in a yeah, not in a verbally abusive. I mean, no. yes, like, it was, but no, no it wasn't. Brody was mostly telling this particular dude that he looks like <laughs> he looked like, like Jeff Winger and he didn't know who Jeff, he didn't know who Jeff Winger was that was the best part it about it he's like I don't know what you're talking it about it was such a good show <laughs> We're, uh, and we're just letting the people know that we're as much a problem in real life as yeah. we are in this room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh when, when we get together and do those things, we are a little raucous. Yeah. Anyway, um, the wrestling gives Connor flashbacks to a battle in Scotland. And during this sequence, we get some cool kind of foreground wipes. So there's like, there's people wiping in front of, like movement in front of yeah. him. And those are the transitions to the battle. So basically kind of stolen from from Spielberg and Jaws where he does a bunch of wipes to get clo- into into close-ups. But so yeah, it's a, it's a cool little I've, bit of technique. I found that both funny and cool. Like playing wrestling for like a full-on battle. battle, I found comedic, but also like those moments in like battle when they're falling over each other and they're exhausted. Like it did kind of work mm. pretty well. It was scripted for a, for a hockey fight in, uh-huh. in, a, in an NHL game and the NHL said no. <laughs> it would make oh yeah and then this is unexplained right now but Connor senses something and so he gets up and leaves and he's clearly disturbed by disturbed by something and in the uh, Madison Square Garden car park which is actually shot in a car park in Earl's Court in London <laughs> Connor meets uh, Facile a man in a suit who instantly attacks him what the fuck is this sword choreograph like there's no choreo at all. Yeah, there is actually. Brah. Ooh, you're stepping on dangerous ground. Dude, the end fight, fucking mad. This fight, what the fuck happened? 
You're stepping on very dangerous. Talk to me. Talk to me. So, Fasil is played by Peter Diamond, who's the stunt coordinator of this movie. Yeah. Uh, no, no, you're not on Dangerous Ground right now. Mm. I'm going to talk later about who the swordmaster of this movie is, and you're going to eat your words. Okay, I'm prepared to. But yeah. like this, this fight's great. It's wild. It's out of control. It's out of con- out of control. I the feel fight like choreography is fucking fantastic in this movie. Maybe I. It's not all fantastic. To, I'm used to kung fu choreo- choreography. It's not that style. And it, yeah. It's a messier, wilder style. But it's also like the way it's shot is also messy as well. I'm glad I watched it on the HD version because I could tell what was going right, on yeah, a the lot VHS better. Is, VHS is mud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I just, it wasn't, it wasn't it for me. Okay. I like hard disagree. Yeah, I think okay. the fights, I don't think the, the, I don't think the fights in this movie hold up to modern action because modern action is so much more designed, right? I think that the, the visual technique that's used in this movie to accentuate the sword fights is, is incredible. Wow. And I okay. think this, and I think the sword fighting fits the char- fits the fits the characters perfectly. Everybody has a different. Everybody has a different style. Everybody's using a different type of sword. There's yeah, a, I like there that. Is a, there is a uh, a tactile to to it. I, I think you're right that it doesn't hold up to to modern action standards. But I also think that modern action is over choreographed. But this is why I say that the choreo, like it, it's clear that there are some shots where they're just waving a sword at each other and blocking and stuff like that. I think that's true in pretty much every fight sequence of this era, of this movie and also this era. Okay. Right? Because things were less designed. And maybe as well, like the silliness of certain bits of it kind of there is some, did, there is some silliness. did something to the way I saw it. Yeah. Maybe. So McLeod pulls his katana out of his trench coat of holding. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. He's had it on in the whole time. He was sitting down in the arena with a katana in his, in his yeah. trench coat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's so good. Yep. Oh, dear. They have a pretty quick exchange before Fassel hides and hits a power box so that the lights start flashing. That's just literally so that they can flash the lights, which mm-hmm. I love. And then also when they're Great. hitting- You know how we were talking on Rapid Fire about how well there was a spatial awareness yes, in that film? this movie the same. Different but the same. I think there's- there's such an understanding of surrounding in this film. Like you don't necessarily have spatial awareness of where everything is, but they use things in the environment so much. Environments and backgrounds are chosen. Locations are chosen very specifically with a plan for how it's going to be utilized and how it's going to be lit. You know what? When you get about 20 minutes into this film and after you've seen a little bit of the interactions, you start to look at the environment as like, you know, in cartoons, how like the thing that's going to move is colored slightly different. Mm-hmm. You start to look at the things going, that's going to be hit. That's going to, that's going to be used. <laughs> oh yeah. Totally. yeah. yeah <laughs> and then as they're hitting each other, there's like sparks and shit coming yeah. off the swords. Do you, do you want to take a guess on how that's done? Oh, do you guys know how real that's, world. That's because it's practical. So that's not a post effect that's done in camera. Do they have like a flint strip down the, down the sword? No. Kieran, you got to take how would you do it? What produces sparks? You got me there. What sparks when two things touch each other? Electricity. Electricity. Shut up. They are both, att- but the sword, this is fucking insane. They are attached. The swords have a cable attached to them going down the arm of the person and to the ground. Both of them do. So you can only do this when they're, clo- when they're close together. One cable goes to the positive terminal on a Shut car battery and the other goes to a negative terminal on a car battery. That's wild. So they are literally touching 
Like it's like when you use jumper cables, it's spark yeah. jumper cables on your on a car, on a car battery. That is what is producing the spikes. The spikes. That's sick. So they're getting like ever so slightly electrocuted because it's <laughs> traveling through their bodies as well. They That's are the gro- sick. they are the ground in that situation. <laughs> Fuck yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, it's great. That is some wild shit. Yeah. Um, oh, how do you even would that is that like the norm at that time? Yeah. Yes, that is a wow. normal technique for creating sparks when swords clash in 1986. That's 1986. fucking awesome. It's amazing. They run across the top of some cars. Uh, that was actually pretty impressive. Yeah, and they're kind of fighting. Yeah. Uh, Fassel sets off a sprinkler system so that it's raining, so that we get more atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it's just about adding layers of atmosphere on layers of atmosphere. There's smoke, there's backlight. It's fucking great. The lights are, lights are flashing. You know what? We get all that unnecessarily flipping. Yeah, <laughs> that is wild. So Ellie watched this the first time with me, and she was sitting there like losing her shit at these flips, going, oh, what a smart way to move around the battlefield. I can go forward and see behind me at the same time, like that's that's actually a pretty good. It's, <laughs> it's just it's just atmosphere. It's just to add. It's the same as so. Like obviously, we're big fans. Kira and I are big fans of Buffy, mm. and there's so much unnecessary flipping, yeah. unnecessary gymnastics <laughs> in martial arts, in fighting, in movies. What's what's fucking great about this is that most of the combatants are like older white men, <laughs> and. This guy should not be able to do a flip, let alone the rate of well, flips well, that he's doing. I mean, that's a double. It's <laughs> a double. They brought in a gymnast. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Gymnast but that's it. what made it so silly. Like yeah. this old white gentleman just starts doing these hectic flips. Yeah. You know what, though? Just on that, that's probably why I feel like the choreo may be a little bit off. I feel like even though the choreo may be good, there's a scene later where like Sean Connery's doing some sword fighting and he's just standing flat. Oh, that's because Sean Connery is already like an older man. But that's what that I'm point. saying. Like because of the people doing the choreo, it looks a little bit awkward and stiff. You're not wrong. I I mean, there's every chance that I'm just more forgiving of that stuff because of the era. But, but there's also you're like not wrong insane, that it's also like, very entertaining the way it's, it's done. shot with these kind of like insane. There's these shots where these crazy wide angle lenses yeah. are all distorted and we're moving around. And one thing that, Okay, he does a lot. No, I already mentioned this is that he'll use a crazy wide shot and then like an insane level of close up, like a close yeah. up of somebody's eyes just moving and whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's very Sergio Leone. So it's not like he invented that stuff. Sergio Leone used a lot of that in Westerns. He would do big landscapes and then cut into a person's eye- eyeballs. Yeah. So okay. He's kind of taking inspira- inspiration for that. But then also like colored lighting and smoke and atmosphere. It's got yeah. a Akira Kurosawa thing where Akira Kurosawa always, it's always windy in his movies. It's always raining. He's always using lateral movement, uh, like movement through the frame to create yeah. atmosphere. So it's taking all these things and then and then adding a music video aesthetic to, aesthetic to it to create something that is kind of fairly new. I honestly can't remember if there's a stationary shot at like eye level. That I might. think the only stationary shots are like from like top down or something like that. Yeah. And it's insane how uh, dark the VHS is in this scene. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So I suggested to both Brody and Kira that they should watch the VHS version and then watch it on Blu-ray because it's a completely different experience yeah. on, Blu- on Blu-ray. How was it on the old TV? I didn't notice it as being too terrible because it it always does look better on the small TV than trying to watch it on the 4K. The 4K. It was more that I could see more detail when I then watched it on Blu-ray yeah, and okay. noticed a few extra sort of details and stuff, but I, I didn't 
find it confusing or anything. It wasn't so crushed blacks that I didn't know what was happening. That's yeah. very true, actually. It's also yeah. because, it's, because it's well lit. Yeah. So it's darker, but it is lit, right? Whereas we have watched other movies that were that were not very well lit, like future the warehouse sequence in Future Cop, mm. where you just cannot see anything yeah. because they have like three lights, right? Yeah. It's not very well lit. I'm glad you told us to watch the HD version because there is the thing that's lost are cool details. And color. The yeah, VHS yeah, is very saturated. Yeah. Like I've seen this movie quite a few times. We're watching the the Blu-ray. It was just like there's like blue washes and red washes in yeah. the scenes, and in the VHS they just fade into. There's just no detail there, yeah. so they just fade away. There's a later on. There's a um a sunrise or sunset with the yeah. castle, and in in the VHS it just looks like a daytime shot of the castle because it's got yeah, no, it's got almost no true, color, yeah. color in it but it's like it's vivid it's a vivid uh vivid orange sky it's gorgeous yeah on, on the blue on the blu-ray so mcleod gets the better of facil and cuts off his head and his body begins to glow with hand animated energy i love yeah, the fucking hand animate cell animation is fucking cool in this movie and they actually went to so much effort with it as well like it's like going into it's super things detailed, it's yeah. so good and like when the head comes off and then the body like goes up, the energy like takes the place of where the head would yeah, be and it's, shit. It's like all, it's, it's just, so good. yeah, there's good detail to and it. And then it kind of leaks out of him causing cars to start moving and then oh. blow up and then blow up. <laughs> did anyone else think that a car, a ghost car was just made? <laughs> did, you think, did you think that you were watching Chris, uh, John Carpenter's Christine? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, McLeod is bathed in, in light and wind as he absorbs uh, Fassel's life force. Yeah. Also, yeah, no, yep. sorry. No, yeah. no, you're right. <laughs> I was going to go on about another point. Did anyone bump when they first watched this movie? I know it's probably a long time for you, but like he's meant to be a Scotsman and he's carrying Gitana. Like that makes sense later in the film, but like are you at this point just being like, why the fuck does he has, have this pimp Gitana? I didn't bump on that. <laughs> I, I definitely did. But that's also not the kind of thing I would bump on necessarily. Yeah, and also, like, we're literally in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Like, we don't, like, I, you don't, I wouldn't bump on it because I expect the movie to explain it to me later. Yeah, I just saw, like, a very white dude carrying katana. I was like, what's going on here? Okay. Afterwards, uh, as sirens begin to sound, McLeod hides his sword and bolts, and we get the... <laughs> He's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> And we get the first of many, many cool transitions. Which one's you this didn't one? notice the transitions? It went uh, up through the floor. Camera moves. That was done a lot in this time period, though, I feel. No, I feel it, like I saw this in, like, the Ninja Turtles movies and stuff. Like, this happened a lot. That's that after transition. this. Ah. At the time, this shit is innovative as fuck. Reels. I mean, he's taking it from a little bit from Hitchcock. Hitchcock did some shit like this. When's this? Like 85? 86. There's stuff in this movie that is commonplace now, which is why you kind of go, oh, yeah, I've seen this kind yeah. of thing before. What I'm telling you is that this shit wasn't in movies before this stuff. Heck Very, very much. He's not the first ever, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. so much of it in this movie yeah. that it it's a it's a storytelling. It's being used as a storytelling tool all the way through the, through the movie. The movie is designed... Shots are designed around how those transitions are going to work. That's something that's thought about way early in pre-production. Sets are designed so that he can do these trans do these transitions. It does almost feel like there's there's a seamless almost continu continuity through scenes. Yeah, he he needs to establish a way that he can move backwards and forwards in time because it doesn't do. It's not like 
this is a weird example, but it's not like Godfather Part 2 where you get like 40 minutes with Al Pacino in like the modern modern day setting. Yep, yep, yep. And then you get an hour with with uh, young Vito in, in New York, right? It's actually it really commonplace. backwards and forwards all the time. It really is commonplace to go backwards and forwards in time, like when you all like at least like massive location jumps going through the cut. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like going through the wall or the floor. That's very commonplace these yeah, days. Yeah, so the camera cranes up into the ceiling of the car park into black and then the camera keeps moving up and over a wall in Scotland. Dope. Yeah, it's awesome. And the Clan MacLeod are on the march to battle. What's funny about that? <laughs> it's just because like Braveheart is one of those movies that I've like watched many, many times over my life. And like, there's a large chunk of it that like informs how I feel about how I am to be Scottish. Right. Mm. Even though that movie is like a hundred percent bullshit. Yeah. It's absolute <laughs> bullshit. But like, I, and I say that as somebody who fucking loves that movie. Yeah, I think yeah, that movie yeah. is incredible, but it's also ridiculously historically inaccurate. But like, I'm watching the scene and like, they've even got like the dark haired dude and they've got the dad from, from Braveheart. And I'm like, this is fucking Braveheart right now. Like, even the setting, it's and the ten, real setting. It looks fucking cool. And 10 years before Braveheart. And 10 years before Braveheart. Uh, Braveheart, it's wild. Yeah. So, uh, Connor is hanging out with uh, Dougal, his cousin. <laughs> And the bantering with another clan member, Angus, about being kind of scared of going into, into battle. And yeah, I already mentioned that Angus is played by James uh, Cosmo, who's in Braveheart, uh, along with every other Scotsman that can walk upright and chew gum <laughs> yeah. in 1995. He's also Lord Commander Mormont of the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones. Ah. He is too. In, I think ah. it's season one. I think he, spoilers, I think he dies in season one. He does. Yeah. As they walk through the village, Connor's love interest Kate runs through the crowd to catch up with him and gives him some flowers mm. and tells Angus and Dougal to keep him in one piece we all know what piece that is <laughs> all Doesn't the make women sense. that he falls in love with in this movie look the same oh, they have a yeah. type He's he got has a, a very distinct definite type yes they're just mod- more modern versions of the same woman I yes. thought the woman in modern day was her was the same for, the, for a long time? Yeah, right. You yeah. thought we were in a um, the, her soul is moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought, and that was until we get to the second love interest. Yeah, right. Did either of you notice the burning crosses in this? Scene? Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> no. What? How on is there a burning the, cross in the background? The, on top of the building, one of the buildings is a church, and there's a cross on top of the church, and it's on fire for no Why? reason. No reason. For no at reason. All. On the director's commentary, Russell Mulcahy jokes about, "Oh, like look at what we, look at what we did." I guess I'm going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What is this shit?" It's just visual layering. It's like it's just that so is, that there is. That's a perfect example of there is so much in going. each fucking shot, yeah. let alone scene in each shot. It's, so they, it's so in the tiniest corner of the shot. The, here's the thing about this, right? This is the thing that that I fucking love about it. Is it? That's not something that's in the script, right? That's a director's choice. So they had production meetings about what this village is going to look out. They did location scouts. They picked a they picked a spot. It's a real castle. They added it's some old buildings. It's the most dope castle. They covered the car park in moss so that you can't see it because it's a tourist attraction. Dope. Um, they built some they built some buildings. Blah blah blah. And at some point, Russell Mulcahy turned to his production design designer and special effects people and said, "Oh, I want you to put the cross on fire." And then the production designer said, yeah, no problem. We can do that. And the effects person had to figure out a way to like get a gas line up there so that they could set that on fire without actually burning down a cross. <laughs> that is 
beautiful. When you think about that's the thing that I love about insane choices in movies is <laughs> thinking about the fact that and it's I, gonna I be this in on two Jim, seconds. Like from the fucking first episode of the show, Jim Carter. Someone just said yes. Yeah. But like the amount of effort and time. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it's not not just, even two seconds. It was like a point five of a second. Oh, it's in it's in a few shots. Yeah. Is it? There's, it's in a few. It's in. I quite just a few saw shots. it when and it was like more over than one his of arm. Them. There's <laughs> more than one. <laughs> I didn't even notice. There's one big one on the church, and then there's a couple of other small buildings. It's on fire. Then they're on fire as well. Oh my god. Did that they, is a are, wild the tra- are the buildings that the tra- that the crosses are on ones that they built? Yeah, it's part of their village. They're so, leaving their village. It's just visual nonsense. No, no, no. I don't mean in terms of in the story of the movie. I mean, like, are they ones that the production built? The oh, production yeah, yeah. Bu- they, would, they would have been, they would have been, those buildings would have been put there by production. So I suppose yes. it doesn't matter if they damaged the, like, they, they can burn the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't bur- burn the actual chapel. Yeah. That's there. <laughs> just checking. Because they said that they had to get a gas line up to make sure they didn't actually burn a cross. So yeah. So it was like. Wait, it wasn't a real church, was the, it? Because that's really Oh, there's a scene a in a real church later that's... Um, is that a real church? Oh, yeah. How we'll do you talk get about, permission to do that we'll, scene? We'll talk about it when we get there, yeah. It is just a visual texture that is fucking great. Yeah. And it has no point. It has it has no bearing yeah. so on you, the movie whatsoever. You have expressed on this... Po- I'm just curious because you have expressed, expressed on this podcast that you don't like it when things are too too stylized, right? For the sake for the sake of it. Or when things look like a set. Or when things look like a set. That's yeah. what I that's what I don't like more. Oh, so it's, see, more it's more that. It's not this... Because this movie is like stylized for the fuck of it. Yeah. Right? And I, I love... I actually love that. Like even, yeah. even when we go to like modern TV shows that I love like expanse and like, I, I can't think of another example, but maybe Battlestar Galactica. I don't know why that fell in my head, but like something that's stylized to a certain degree just does it for the fuck of it is the best. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm so there's this, there's this thing that it's a criticism that doesn't happen as much anymore because lots more movies are stylized. Mm. Right. But there used to be this thing in the eighties and nineties and it's in this quote at the, the, in the review where people would complain that it's all style over substance. And my response to that is, is that style is substance yeah. because style is an expression of the director. It doesn't need to make sense. It's just about personal expression. It's just about how a director is choosing to present something, right? Yeah. By adding visual you, interest. Cause you say that about this, but then you also hate it when, a particular technique is used and overpowers the content, yeah. like when the like when the the long shot. Yeah, thing. yeah, but that's different because that's not that's oversaturation yeah. throughout the whole culture. That's yeah, yeah. No, you're right, and I let me think about how I would articulate the response <laughs> to that. But it is it does feel different to me, or I'm a hypocrite, and you're right. <laughs> Just to jump in, there's only so to take a very specific example that we've talked about on the podcast, the movie Extraction. There's that really long take that we that we talked about that I'm like, and it kind of takes away from the movie. Yeah, it's pointless. It's because that's it in that movie. That's the only stylistic flourish in that movie. That's not a super stylistic movie that makes a bunch of like crazy choices to create a to create a collage technique mm. that then adds to the telling of that story. That's a specific instance where in this one scene, we're going to use this technique. And also we're going to market the movie on the fact that we did this one mm. scene. So that's why it's different to me. 
However, oh, here we go. you also had that argument against, and Brody's getting ready for me to like, what, go into debate mode? Yeah, um, I'm keen. No, there's that movie where the um, the kid is running through the wall. 1917. Yeah, and you had the same problem with that. that, that, that yeah. But yeah, that's it through the whole movie. It is through the whole movie. And it, and it enhances is a, the storytelling in the sense that it is in, it, it, there's, it's not, I don't know whether it enhances it, but it is relevant to the story. Like it I connects just, to the content I of that just, film. I don't, no, I don't feel like it does. Well, it's a movie about running. Yeah. <laughs> and so the camera is running. Yeah. But there's power in cuts. It's also because that is a trend. Right, mm-hmm. so there's that ad. Okay, take that movie on its own, maybe. Right, I mean, I thought it was. I mean, it's very impressive, but but I don't feel like it adds to the story. But the thing that is laid on top of that is it's a trend. Mm-hmm. It's a trend to go, hey, look at the really long shot that we did. It's like that. So there's a in the Northman, the Robert Eggers mm-hmm. Viking movie that just came out recently. There's all these, um, you know, all people want to talk about is the six minute. Uh, Viking raid that's all that's all one shot and everybody's like oh yeah well, they, you know they get off the boats and they go up the thing and there's all this fighting and stuff and it's all one shot it's not one shot it's fucking six shots stitched, stitched together you have said there's that a, to me there's before. a there's a thing that's happening now that is uh we are lying about the things that things that we did when we made this movie <laughs> in order to market it better yeah we're doing and this one massive long shot but it's actually eight it's shots. actually like, a bunch like of how in Top Gun there's a, it's a two seater plane. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. So the, <laughs> the new thing is, is that, oh, yeah, we did all the plain stuff practical. It's like, that's not a lie, except while you're telling me that, you're showing me a shot of an F-18 flying under a bridge that is entirely CGI, and I can see that that's entirely yeah. CGI. And it's like, yeah, um, you know, we're really in the planes. We're really moving around. Yeah, in a two-seater plane where you're not holding on to the controls, you're mm-hmm. in the backseat acting. And that's still impressive. The thing is, is that's still impressive, the technique and the work and the amount of coordination and having to design new camera systems, all that stuff is like true and um, incredible. And that's what you should be talking about. Don't lie and don't position it like you taught actors how to fly fucking jets. Yeah, because yeah, have you seen the um, the, the little feature thing about the behind scenes of top, the new Top Gun? No. Nah. Because it very much, like the, the way it plays, it very much feels like, okay, we took all of these actors, we taught them how to shoot, how to fly fighter jets. They're really fighting, <laughs> yeah. fi- flying they- fighter jets while also operating the camera for themselves and acting. It's like, wow, that's really impressive. Are you serious? No, 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 no. It's a two-seater <laughs> plane. It's a two-seater plane. <laughs> well, we didn't here's, do that. Here's the thing is, is they're not... Um, it's not that they'd lie and say that the actors are flying the plane. They just leave that information out. Yeah. So they, they're, they're shaping a narrative by not telling you something. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they show you the outside of the plane and it's one seat of plane. And then they show you the inside of the plane and you see the actor and you don't see the other seat. So. Yep. It's still it's still so impressive. Oh, which so is so just cool. like why would they have to? I wanted to go see it this weekend and every fucking session is booked out. It's going to be. The biggest movie of the year. Anyway, my point was just I, I, I think that, me, that there's a very thin line between what you think is cool and what you think is not cool when yeah. it comes to cinematic technique being used in movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, will. Yes, you're. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you, I'm not consistent. Bet- I'm not consistent uh, across the board, but I'm consistent between filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck yeah for Russell Mulcahy, fuck yeah for Ridley Scott deciding that light has a sound and that there's going to be water reflections when there's no water in the scene at all because it, <laughs> no. it looks cool. But also, yeah, fuck 1917. 
I, I will fine. say the one thing about like I liked it. what we were saying about having a style throughout the whole movie, like the thing that this is Sidetrack City, but the thing that <laughs> we just got off Sidetrack City. Yeah, <laughs> the thing that like is the difference between like a good example of being the difference between stylized and looks like a, a fake set is like fifth element that rides the perfect line. I feel like to being stylized and like clearly like fakeness. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, you, everything has to be a build because of the design of that movie yeah. and also because it's set in the fu- set so far in the future. Yeah. But, but see yeah. that, like it has that feel that I was saying where like everything feels like a set, but it's also so stylized that that makes sense in that realm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. We get into the battle and we see two armies across the battlefield as lightning splits the sky kind of feels kind of weird and out of sorts. And we get a couple of quick shots of uh, Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, followed by an introduction shot. It's another big dramatic crane shot that starts looking down at him and then sweeps down over his face. And as it does, a shadow passes over him. So he goes from being like lit to lit by like lightning and flashes to being like dark. Mm. That's the shadow of the camera crane on the actor. (laughs) Hectic. But this movie is so stylized that all they did was add some score that sweeps in with the shadow and it plays like the sun has gone behind a cloud to create a more dramatic atmosphere. <laughs> Fuck, that's awesome. It's literally the shadow of the camera and the crane passing over his face. Mad. Fuck. Um, to create a more ominous introduction. <laughs> so the, the Kurgan tells uh, another man, Murdoch, to remember that Connor is his alone and that no one else is to touch him. There is one called Connor among them. I... Remember our agreement, Murdoch. The boy is mine. It's begun! Death to the McLeod! And then as the battle starts and the two the two armies clash, we get a bunch of like chaotic kind of yeah. shots This is where stuff. the comedy starts. Yeah, though. this was fun. I like this. <laughs> Nobody will fight him. <laughs> it was real fun. Nobody will fight him. And the priest? Yeah, the priest, yeah. priest murder. That was so good. The priest slits a dude's throat and then and then does the, the, the sign of the, the, of the yeah. cross. <laughs> so good. But and him I just love- standing in the middle going, nobody will fight me. Why won't anybody fight me? I love that yeah. you clicked then, on that. And then his friend's like, that's great. Come stand by me. Yeah. Yeah. Dougal's like, stick with me then. Yeah. And he's just like, McLeod. McLeod, like trying to get people to fight him, and then people will run up to him and go, Oh, no, not no, him. Not you. Try and fight him. Like, do you need the guy to come and fight you? Can't you chase him down? Isn't that what war is? Yeah. He's just confused. Why would they be all running away from him? What's happening right now? Yeah. Uh, the, and then the, the Kurgan finds him and stabs him in the side uh, as lightning strikes. I, I love this as well. The Kurgan rides up on a horse. And gets off his horse to face him. Yeah. Like, not just, like, fight him from the horse or something like that and really fuck him up. No. Face me! Yeah, and then he uh, twists his broadsword inside him. That's got to fucking hurt. Mm. And he's about to cut off McLeod's head. Um, There can be only one. (laughs) And he's dragged away people in the clan McLeod. And as he's dying on the ground, the camera pulls back and Iris is out to become the pupil of Connor's eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's o- optically composited. In the HD version, did you notice the drop, massive drop in quality? Yeah, like insane no. drop in quality. So it goes from the, even in the HD version, it goes from re- looking like 35 millimeter film to looking like VHS. And the reason is because of the optical composite, because of the way that that was put together, there was a, there's a loss of generations. And so 
the shot is like super degraded before we even before we even pull. Oh, Question. Yep. You said something there which confuses me. Loss of generations. Should I know what that means? Yeah. So with film, it's to give you a modern version. It's like taking an exported version of something that's at low quality. Yeah. And then re-exporting it. And the quality getting even worse because you're uh, going because yeah. you're compressing and then you're compressing again. So you're taking compressed information and, re-com- and recompressing yep, it. Yep, 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 In yep. film, what that means is there was the 35 millimeter, and then they've had to do stuff to it to create that transition. And in the creation of that transition, you've lost a you've gone away from the original, so you've lost a generation of quality. Ah, right. So the okay. further you get away from the original the less of the quality gets because it's not the way we are now. We're digital one-to-one. Yeah. So you lose less quality now. That obviously is only when you're doing something to the frame, yes, right? Correct. Because you can copy the frame perfectly. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes, but you're then like running it through soft, well, not software. You're running it through different processes to create the, the composite so that you can zoom out of that and iris in and then that turns into the shot of Because the way they used to do it is they like made a full artwork and then filmed a frame of it to get it back onto the frame, yeah? Oh, that's a different, that's a completely different technique. But yes, oh, okay. that's matte painting and it's not that technique. Okay. But it is similar. It's an effect, it's generation. an optical, it's an optical effect, meaning it's a physical process of printing and exposing and scanning yep, yep, and all yep. that kind of stuff. And then you lose quality the more you do that. Okay. Connor exits Madison Square Garden. We're still. Oh my God, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He speeds his car through the real Madison Square Garden car park and out onto the street. And I really love this shot. As he gets out, the cops park him in and arrest him and he resists punching a cop in the face. Yeah. I don't know if this is a really realistic version of cops or a really unrealistic version Oh, he's version super of over the top. But like they got there way too quick. Like who would have called the cops? He just left a murder scene with no one there. They wouldn't have got there that quick. But like when they did get to him, they fucking roughed him up. So it's like. Kind of real, kind of not real. Like. Part that becomes not real is that he hits them multiple pop cops multiple times <laughs> yeah. and then they don't arrest him. Or just kill him. Or charge yeah. him for anything. Wait, wait, wait. Because later, later he like resists in the room and pushes them and hits them and stuff. And then he asks them if they're going to arrest him and they say no. It's like, why not? He just hit you. Aren't yeah. you not allowed yeah. to hit a cop? You're not allowed to hit a cop. <laughs> what they do say though several times is, watch him, watch him, watch him, watch him. As they're getting out of their cars to arrest him. It's very important that you watch him, Brody. <laughs> yeah, watch him, yeah. guys. Uh, we get another transition from the lights of the cop car back to Scotland. And Connor is on his deathbed being given last rites by a priest as Kate the murder cries. Priest. It is, in fact, the murder with a punk rock haircut yeah. as well. He has like a very, like he's got an undercut. He looks like, like he's a Viking priest. And then we start getting camera flashes over the top of Connor in his deathbed. Yeah, that's cool. That transition to back to the present and the flashes are actually of the body. They're mm. actually of the body of, of a facile. Yeah. Having the sh- flashes taken. Yeah. Because yeah. of his corpse. Yeah. Where, where you meet Brenda as she is arriving at the crime scene in the car park where it's kind of chaos. There's like people, people everywhere. Don't you know that homicide is meant to be let known at the forensics. same time as forensics? Forensics is meant to get <laughs> yeah, that's the it. call at the same time. Yeah. Come on. Uh, and then she sees, uh, Fassel's headless corpse. Mm. 
This one came unassembled. <laughs> Fucking great throwaway line. There's some fun banter between them. There is. The There's a joke about New Jersey. And yeah, yeah. there's some good. <laughs> yeah, but I figure, what the hell? It's New Jersey. It's New Jersey yeah. Yeah. There was a guy that was killed just like this over Jersey. Yeah, but I figure, what the hell? That's Jersey. They have uh, a suspect man named Nash, which is McLeod. Brenda is lightly sexually harassed by another detective, Walt. Yeah. Uh, hi, Brenda. <laughs> yeah. Real uh, creepy. Looking pretty, Brenda. Played by the late, great John Polito. Um, he is Gideon, the porn store owner in The Crow. Ah. Uh, and he has... Ah. <laughs> and he has over, like, 200 TV credits. The other movie that I love him in is Coen Brothers' um, Miller's Crossing. Ah. He's uh, amazing in Miller's Crossing. He's in t- lots of stuff. I haven't seen it. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, oh, I yeah. need to watch all their films. I'm uh, it's an earlier Coen Brothers movie and has great use of language. Like the entire movie is like Irish gangster slang and phrases and it's, the language is just incredible. Aye. It's like it's like 1930s Irish gangster Shakespeare. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Cops are joking around about the cause of death. We get some exposition about the cut being done with, by something razor sharp and they also – Chat. Here's where they chat about a similar murder already in New Jersey. Brenda finds Fessel's sword under a card. It's a Toledo Salamanca. Um, she calls over Frank. Why are you laughing? Because she's a sword expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, she needs to be for the movie, Bernie. Oh, she calls so Frank good. over and he trips over the body. <laughs> yes, that's right. He takes right. a step. Spills there his is coffee, so many good comedic coffee. beats in this movie that just aren't like focused in on. Yeah. And you really just, have to be watching go- for. It's just some goofiness. Yeah. It's just like it's everywhere in this movie. Like in the making of this film, did they know yes. the film that they were making? Yes. Russell McKay absolutely knows. But I feel the like they were making. aiming for a blockbuster. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, every movie's trying to be a hit. But like this feels like it was made to be a blockbuster. Like, yeah. Like straight-faced blockbuster, but it's, there's no, so many not. comedic it, beats it in it that written, know what it is. It was is. written as a something straight-faced. The new screenwriters and Russell Mulcahy moved it more towards humor because that's their sense because that's their sensibility. Yeah. And so the gags are absolutely on purpose. Like the one of the I watched an interview with one of the screenwriters, and he's like, "Yeah, we brought the thing that we mostly did was we we made it we made it more epic and we added humor to it." Yeah, so they knew what they were making. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. Mad. Um, the sword's worth about a million dollars. <laughs> Uh, and it's the type of thing an antique dealer might know about. In the cop shop, McLeod has a staring contest with the Keystone cop, Garfield. Um, he's not a pretty man, right? Who? Like, <laughs> our boy, Connor. I think he's a good looking boy. Really? I feel like he's got a brow that just like. Here we go. <laughs> he's like Cro-Magnum brow just like makes every look he gives people like. I want to stab you or I have nothing going on in my he has mind a, right He now. has an intense look, but I think that, that he's a good looking man. Intense, bordering like, like blank. He's also <laughs> he's also like a super weirdo. Yeah, he is, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And like, but that's what makes him fascinating. Like he's a good looking, oh. he's a secret handsome weirdo, Brody. <laughs> yeah, he They're is. They're my favorite people. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, I get you. He is... He is a mystery. That is that is true. But he, he is also, not a good looking man. He also is delivering his lines with just the worst accent. <laughs> because he learned his lines phonetically. That is hectic. Because he was learning English as he was making this movie. That is wild. He didn't speak a ton of English. He spoke a little bit of English, not a lot of English. And he learned his lines phonetically with a with a with a dialogue coach. That's sick. 
So he didn't even re- really know what he was saying some of the times, I bet. I think he knows what he's saying because it's been translated for him, right? Yeah. But he's he's a man that does not speak English as a first language and is just new to, is brand new to English. He's French, right? Yes. Yeah. He, well, he's Swiss. He was born in in Switzerland, but he grew up in he grew up in France. I was trying to place his accent for so long and I was like, are they doing a thing where he's trying to hide his Scottish accent? And that's why he sounds weird. Well, or they call it out. Yeah. So yeah. the they cop says, Nash, you talk funny. And he says he's from, from all Lots over. of different places. Yeah. Which, Which makes, is a, it, it, a fantastic explanation. And it makes yeah, sense. He's from, he's from Scotland and now he's in America. We don't know where else he's been. He, like, well, we already, we, we find out later that he's been all over the place. Yeah. He's, in, he was in, he's been in England. He's been in France. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you meet people who have traveled that much in a regular an, lifetime, they do tend to have an that's international true. accent. So yeah. here's the thing is, like, yeah, I get that, like, people make fun of this movie because people make fun of this movie because Christopher Lambert is a Frenchman playing a Scotsman and Sean Connery is a, is a <laughs> Scots- Scotsman playing, playing an Egyptian <laughs> Spanish man. <laughs> right? gets better every time. And here's the thing. Connery doesn't fucking try. Nah. Connery just does his fucking accent. Connery doesn't. Is there been a film but, where he has done an accent that wasn't his? No. But, <laughs> but Lambert is trying. Yeah. He's trying to put some Scottish. In so there. what happens is is Lambert gets gets lumped in with Connery because Connery's not doing anything, right? I will and say I actually his think that Lambert Scottish is, is accent good. when not, he leans not, on it, it's not, not horrible. I've heard worse. Yeah, I've heard worse than fucking. I've done worse. Fucking Mel Gibson's accent is worse than Braveheart. Yeah, more incons- he's not really hiding his accent very it's much. It's more inconsistent. Though. Yeah, that is so, I don't know. No, it really is. <laughs> there are scenes in Braveheart where he may as well just be speaking with his, his American, which is insane because he's- But his because Australian-American Mel- accent yeah, he's an is, American-born, is almost American Scottish. born Aussie. Yeah. So he uses- yeah, no, he tries to push it. It's it, he tries to push it, and it's yeah, awful. And then he, when he doesn't <laughs> try to push it, up. But yeah, <laughs> when he doesn't try to push it, he sounds American. Like yeah, it's not, Hundo. yeah. Oh fuck. Um, they say show him the sword, and ask him what he what it is, and he leans into the sword to take a close look at it, like this far away from <laughs> yeah. his face, which cracks me up for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why that makes me laugh. And it's, then he goes, "It's a sword." <laughs> See, he actually there is so much. There are actually there are tiny little pockets where he is like a fun action hero, you know, like almost um like Bruce Willis in like Die Hard. Like he has these moments of levity. He's got a deadpan sense yeah. of humor at times. But I wish that was throughout the movie more. Mm. He's he's a little bit more too serious, I feel. But like in the final fight when he like rocks up at the end to like kind of do his thing, he has another quip. This movie shifts tonally all over the it place. It does. It's that's like, it. Hey. It's a goofy. This is why I called it the dorkiest cool movie of all time. Yeah. Because it's silly and it's over the top. And then it's also wants you to take like, the and then epic, it's like dark and it brooding. also wants you to take the brooding, the epic yeah. and the romance. So seriously, like it wants you to buy into so many different, t- different times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm here for it. Dude, like, I, I, I don't reckon it misses it. any of those beats, but because it has so many of those beats, you're like pulled in different directions all Time. Yeah. Frank, the detective, head detective, suggests that Nash was meeting Fassel to make a deal for the sword and kill him. Nash suggests that Fassel was so depressed by the lousy wrestling that he cut off his own head. <laughs> One of the co- cops find that amusing. Yeah. Uh, John Polito <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, finds that amusing. Uh, Garfield asks Nash if he is an F word slur. Hardest F word slur I think we've heard. Yeah. In yeah. Nash comes back to him hard. with his own uh, homophobia. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Which is strange, given that Russell Mulcahy is an openly gay man. Oh. 
was he at this point? I mean, it was off yeah. the time Openly? though. Yeah, it was. It was very. It's off, off the, the time, time, but it's just. Yeah. But it's just. But he's okay with that. The homophobia. Yeah, it's interesting that but maybe he comes he's back okay with, with the homophobia. It's coming from a cop. Yeah, like it's maybe coming from the bad guy. Well, but but. Hmm. Christopher Lambert throws a, asks uh, yeah, but the he cop if he's, he's cruising for a piece of ass. Yeah, but sometimes and he says people- you're sick when he insinuates that he's gay. Yeah, so it's just a oh, weird. Yeah, that's it's just right, a yeah. weird. I mean, definitely as someone who grew up throughout those kind of times where it was more acceptable to do those things, I've definitely said some things that were terrible. But like, yeah, through a modern lens, I would never no accept I, that. I, I, and I, this isn't a modern I situation. Mean, I think that we are looking at it with the, with a with a kind of modern sense modern sensibility, but yeah. it just I just it just bumps with me because I know that Russell McKay is a game is a gay man and and he directed this movie. Yeah. And well, it's I guess just he didn't weird... write it, and he probably read it and went, "Well, yeah, that's probably that is that's accurate to yeah. what would happen in that situation." And he doesn't Very comment true. on the on the audio commentary. The audio commentary is from the I think it's from the twentieth anniversary, so it's from the early two thousands. And he doesn't comment. And he doesn't he doesn't comment on it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Um, they scuffle and Nash, this is where Nash asks if he's under arrest and he isn't. So he just leaves. How is he again? How, how is, is he, he not? He assaulted cops. Multiple times. Uh, yeah. Enter the Kurgan. This is the point where I realized it was Sergeant Zim and I literally stood up cheering in my lounge room. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> On the car radio, we hear some news about the murder under the car park. And the Kurgan puts in a tape in so he can blast Queen as he cruises into the city. Yeah. He checks into a sleazy hotel as Victor Kruger. Victor being another word for winner. Um. And he has a new vibe. I need to talk about this scene. So this is also the scene where I was like, I need, the, uh, fuck, pausing is taking too long. I need, there's so many notes I have to write. Like this scene, he walks in and he's dealing with the receptionist, the, the guy at reception, and he goes... Uh, they have a back and forth, but then he's like, so the girls, the reception, you, you want girls, you want blow dial zero and you got me or whatever. Yeah. Because New York in the eighties. Yeah. But also the guy behind the desk, his outfit who also doesn't change throughout days no. wearing the same outfit. Oh, and he has like, uh, like junky sores all yeah. over his mouth and yeah, yeah. it's, and it's he's got be- like the hard leopard print, but also what else is going in this scene is like. This old black dude who's just sitting in the so background. He's just hanging out. What is their relationship like? I, I want a movie in their world. He's just a guy that hangs out in the lobby all the time. He's just this friend that's. Yeah. Are they like, do they have this like lost father and son dynamic? Is this just like a kindly older gentleman that just lives in his lobby? Like, what is going on in that backstory there? I want, it's dripping. It's dripping with just shit in the scene and I want to know about it. The Kogan has a scar across <laughs> his throat, which is important and we'll talk about it later. Why does? Why is that the only wound that scars? He because he had almost head. had his head cut off. Uh, and wait. that's the one wound that they can't heal. Ah, that makes sense. Die. She got you. In his room, the Kurgan <laughs> assembles. I want to know more about this couple. You know, so we just let you talk and then just move on. You know why we do that? And I leave a gap before I start talking again. You know why I do that, Brie? So you can cut me so out. I can cut out <laughs> In his room, the Kurgan assembles his sword and it's intercut with him practicing in a oh very small God. space. Is that? 
It's not a thing. It's not a thing, it's right? It's definitely not the a building thing. of the sword. No, yeah. it's just cool thing. Yeah. I didn't think so. I, I was with it until he added an extra piece to the sword part. <laughs> I, I was like, a, maybe, maybe, maybe you can put together a, the hilt. But like yeah. that, actually adding the extra length well, to it was just it like, legitimately well, that's can, just gonna, it's it, just going to fall off. It's literally, it literally weakens the sword yeah. by putting it into two pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought uh, so. so. It's just smart. a cool eighties like. Let's have him unpack a. It's like a, it's like seeing a, d- a dude build his rifle. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Fine, except weapon. it's a sword, and you shouldn't do that. Also, I love it. Where <laughs> do these eighties movies get these sleeveless jumpers? I need a fucking just, sleeveless jumper in my the life. Sleeves off jumpers. Is that how they did it? They literally just cut. <laughs> Why the sleeves off is the it in every fucking eighties movie? Wrestlers often come out in uh, like cut off tank top versions of the, whatever t-shirt it is that they're selling at the moment. <laughs> and you know how they make those? They just cut the fucking they sleeves, just cut off. The sleeves off. I mean, I've done it to shirts, but like never a jumper. I'm going to, I'm going to get some scissors do that. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at last the gathering. I don't know what that is yet, but it seems important. Uh, a sex worker comes into the room. Candy. Split diopter. What? Split diopter shot. You oh, know what a split diopter yeah. is? We've used one. Yes. Yes. Uh, hi, I'm Candy. Of course you are. Is that the <laughs> over-the-shoulder shot? Yeah, so it's a close-up of half of the frame is the Kurgan's face in close-up and the back half of the of the, the other half of the shot you truly is her can't walking see into, the line. The, into the room. And yeah, so it's a split diopter. For people that don't know what a split diopter is, it's a thing that goes on from the lens that allows you to have two parts of the frame in focus. So you can put something in the foreground in focus and something in the background in focus as well. Yeah, it's interesting, like, although I've seen split diopter shots before and I never realized this, it's interesting that there's no, like, line of focus that it's, you can see that it's split. The reason you can't see it is because nothing is crossing over it. Often when you do split diopter shots in movies, you the reason you see the line is because there's something there's something I've never seen across, the line across. Oh no, I see it all the time. Yeah? Yeah, is that how bit, you told in this scene? Yeah, there's even a shot in a movie that I saw recently that's a split diopter shot where somebody comes from the background and moves across the line into the, into the foreground so that they can be in focus the whole time. That's mm-hmm. dope. Yeah, I think that's – that might even be all the president's men. I could be wrong about that. Okay. Also, can I just talk a little bit about how genius this sword is? The click-up spikes on the hill? That's it's a sword breaker. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sword breaker, but also in it every single up. shot in that, like, little montage, the spikes are at different angles. Yeah, and also he never uses it in a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's just so they can do that one shot. <laughs> I don't care. I love it. In the crime lab, Brenda talks to a co-worker about the metal found in Fassel's wound. Uh, she tests the shards and it comes back with a result that can't possibly be right. This whole metal also, from the swords thing is so dumb. If, a, if Literally, if a sword lost bits every time that it hit a person or another thing we but like, break a lot of swords you can yeah. almost you can oh, almost it believe fucking, it gets fucking worse of like micro micro microscopic particles no, like no, being no. exchanged okay <laughs> I will let you okay. continue momentarily let me okay. just get to the next bit and yeah. you can have at it right in the car park McLeod is retrieving his hidden katana as Brenda, Brenda returns to the scene to look for more clues and more bits of metal with a metal detector yeah. which she uses on a concrete reinforcing pillar. You know what reinforces that concrete? Uh, Metal. Steel beams. There's so much about this scene that is I didn't fucked. think about that at all. Okay. She finds giant chunks of metal inside the concrete hole made during the fight. Brody, have at it. All right, so we see the slice in the pillar when they're fighting, right? First of all, like, 
we see it come clean out of that pillar. Well, he has to. So that's from his katana, yeah. right? And he does have to in the scene. He has to like put effort into putting yeah. the katana out the wall. Yeah, and we but we see it come out clean, right? And <laughs> there are chunks like metal shavings that are coming out of this cut. So if that came off the fucking sword, there would be massive chunks in it. But second, it would all, be damaged. It would be severely compromised damaged, and damaged. Yeah. Let's talk about the metal detector first of all. Not only is it fucking dumb to be on reinforced steel uh, uh, pillars, you're in a car park full of cars. Like there is metal, there's metal literally everywhere, everywhere in that place, <laughs> everywhere in that scene. The <laughs> ground, the pillar, the cars, all the like wiring, everything is fucking metal in that scene. And then let's talk about how he's getting his katana off of that fucking grate. First of all, what is that grate? Second of all, well, it's, no, 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 it's there so he can put his sword in it. Yeah, but like it's that grate on some so ventilation yeah, it's just like a, in the it's room, like a hanging it's like a grate. hanging cage piece. Yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course it's going to be there. But like, let's think about and what also happened. Nobody checked there. <laughs> Thank you. So he is when he's retrieving his. I scene, mean, these cops are clearly not very good at this shit. <laughs> but like, not just they the cops. There is the like body. a thousand people in that car park <laughs> in that scene. So he's on his tippy toes, just grabbing it off. Even if he's a tall man, like that wouldn't be very very far above people's heads and it's a great you can see through it we see top down through it a thousand people missed a fucking white katana just on a great what is this scene gang what the fuck is this scene <laughs> it's just, i love every moment of it but what the fuck is it there's a they lot didn't of look for clues very well yeah <laughs> they did not there's a lot of like plot mechanics in this part of the movie <laughs> and a little bit later that are just about getting the two of them t- together and and it doesn't Damage the movie? No, no, whatsoever. not at all. But there it's is just, just a lot. To talk about. Just, yeah, it's just fun to talk about. And there is a lot of scenes. There's a lot of scenes where she basically just kind of. It's not even that she finds out the same piece of information. There's just a lot of scenes where she learns something new that, like, that adds to the story. Like, it's a lot of exposition spread across lots of little scenes. Yeah. So much of this yeah. is just absolute. Absolute crap that adds nothing to the movie, but also the movie wouldn't be as good as it no. was if it wasn't there. She gets spooked by some noises as McLeod takes off. And at a bar, she goes to get a drink to calm her nerves. And Nash comes in and sits behind her, orders a drink, and then kind of fucks with her. This is where the creepiness really begins. Yes. What is his plan here? I don't know. Like, what is he doing? I love that he orders Glenn Morangi, like the one of the ones that seem to be the most Scottish scotches around. Yeah, and then it's in a, like a weirdly tall glass, and I think he's actually <laughs> drinking a beer. Yeah, because I think that that line is ADR. Ah, there are some ADR lines here that I've fucking of, not spoken about. Uh, there's or maybe they're they, coming. The way that this movie was shot, there's a lot of effects work in almost every scene. There's like lights and smoke and everything else, right? So there's probably a lot of stuff that is not. It's not additional ADR noise. Uh, uh, lines like where they've added like in Thrashing where they added lines yeah. to explain plot what they've done is had to re-record a lot of the dialogue because they're shooting in noisy locations because of yeah. all the effects and shit that that's what doing. it feels like it definitely feels like intentional dialogue but it's definitely ADR yeah. so they have a very brief kind of confusing conversation and, and she leaves he waits and then goes to and as he is walking away we see that she like hit around a corner so mm. that she could follow him I mean like she's a pretty cool character I would say like for this time and how in my mind women are portrayed in movies in the 80s she's very strong yeah and like 
a creepy guy comes up. I mean, she definitely makes some poor choices. Like a creepy guy comes up and says something definitely creepy and insinuating. I just know where you've been and I know what you're doing. And then she follows him. And she goes up to him, talks to him. He offers to take her home and she's like, no, I can take care of myself and leaves the bar alone. Terrible choice. But she's also, a cop as well. She she's can a take forensic care scientist, though. She's a technician. Yeah. She's yeah, not right. actually a police officer. Mm. Yeah. Some wild choices, but I, I she, do appreciate her kind of, as a character. She has her own story and she kind yeah. of has her own plot. And motivations, like certain, she's into the swords. Yeah, and then at a certain point they kind of drop it because yeah. the rest of the, like the back half of the movie needs to happen. Yeah. So at a certain point they just kind of abandon it. And it's kind of meant to be a little, there's some stuff that's like screwball-y with them. Mm. And I think that this scene is trying, trying to be like that, but it's also like super stalkery. So it just doesn't, I think the tone is a little bit off in this, in this scene. I also feel like there's zero chemistry between them. Yeah. I was going to talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. He, they, they have no spark whatsoever. Yeah. Considering that we see him with, with other women in this movie. Mm. Right. And he has spark. With yeah. Women. Yeah. There's clearly his second love interest. Like I really bought that. Yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. talk about it when, when we get, when we get to it. So McLeod has a strange feeling and ducks into an alleyway as Brenda passes. He pulls her in telling her to be quiet and the Kurgan just pops up. <laughs> yeah. That was out ridiculous. Of, out of frame. Surprise. But it's, it's just meant to be, it's just meant to be like a jump scare, right? Yeah. Like he just literally like stands up into frame. Oh, I thought they were leaning into the comedy with that. No, I think it's meant to like be a, be a scare. Like oh, it's, it's meant to, it's a, he's literally a fucking Jack in the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His creepy smile. I love. There's a couple of times in this, in this movie where he's just got his fucking, fucking terrifying smile going. Yeah. But like also, Throughout this whole scene, like when he leaves the bar and like is and they get up to the Kurgan, the cinematography, like the the shots are fucking the gorgeous. Whole gorgeous. Yeah. Also, there is just lights in shot. This, uh huh? Yeah. There's literally just lights in the back of shot. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. There's, so when he walks out of the bar, there's a there's literally a if you look down the street, there's a, a like a hard source shining yeah. shining at him, and you can just see that. Like I can just I didn't I did not like, see it. If you don't know what you're looking for, it looks like a street light, right? Yeah, but uh, it's so bright that it's just a light on a stand in the back of the front, and it is lower frame. than it should be. And then as he, as Brenda is walking down towards the alleyway. Yeah. It's cut off in the VHS, but you can see it clearly in the in the HD version. Is that there is a there is a giant light, it's probably the same fucking light, shining under a car directly at camera to create a to create a flare. Huh. Like the lights are just in shot. <laughs> I love that. Because it doesn't matter. They're just going for look. It's just about look. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, so the McLeod avoids the Kogan's broadsword and Brenda has to throw him a pipe so he can defend himself. Didn't he not just collect his sword? The pipe is the hero of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in of, Rod. There is a lot of <laughs> Did you get to see the Rod? <laughs> they fight and it's a pretty quick fight, but there's again there's some good wide angle um steady cam stuff in here. Mm, this fight is so much better in HD. Uh yeah, you because well, you can see what's happening. Yeah. And also there's color The, in the detail frame. of like when he's on the ground is way better. Yeah. A police helicopter shows up and shines a spotlight on them and Kogan bails and the cops <laughs> like the, the cops like Hey, hold it right there. Come back here. I was going to say, are we not going to talk about how fucking ridiculous this helicopter is? It's just so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is there just helicopter cops going That's around on patrol yeah. in New York? In New York, in LA, yeah, absolutely. Oh, shut the fuck That's up. Yeah, so there much. is. No, there, is, there isn't. The way that people on Twitter know that something is happening in LA is because of all the co- the police helicopters ar- around all the time. That is dystopic. Yeah. That is fully dystopic. LA, especially in LA. I don't know about New York because you've got buildings and... and, and They're meant to be in stuff. New York though, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, that alleyway is not New York. That alleyway is in London. The street... Is New York the alleyway is London? Hectic. We'll talk more about. Okay, that okay. I need to know but what's the, going on there. The helicopter the is fantastic. I love the, the helicopter. Hel- that is fully slapstick. Yeah. That is like airplane <laughs> level comedy. Where we, were, <laughs> we were watching it this. We were watching it this morning. That that scene was on while I was kind of like making breakfast. I came back into the room and I was like, and then I did a bit of the helicopter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> like talking to the the, the helicopter spotlight guy talking to the to the to the pilot. Uh, Larry, I don't know what's happening. Nobody even stops. <laughs> Nobody even listens to me. How am I getting any job satisfaction? Uh, <laughs> oh fuck! It's gold. Yeah. Um. So the Kurgan, <laughs> the Kurgan Bales. It's an example of how they definitely. The that's an example of how they definitely knew that they were making comedy because you don't put that line in there if you don't know you're making. No, comedy. definitely not. And also, the that is, is the that voice of one of the added later. The voice is uh, one of the producers. Oh right. That, uh, 100% that was added yeah. later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brenda follows McLeod and asks him a bunch of questions the audience probably wants to know about by now. Shut uh, up. Why? They can be anything on. Yeah, sh- he tells her to shut up and leave Real him alone. Real hard and shut up. Shut up and leave me alone. Dude, you fucking stalked her first. <laughs> you just like literally went to a bar and like- Yeah, sucked her out. And asked then, to take her home. Yeah, and then anyway, in Scotland in the past, um, Dougal, Angus and Kate are dismayed that Connor didn't die. <laughs> Connor comes so in. So angry about it. Connor yeah. comes in and it's super awkward because Satan. Yeah. <laughs> got the devil in we've, got, we've got Scottish satanic panic. I, I actually low-key fucking love this whole uh, scene, these scenes in, in Scotland because I love how it immediately just took his loved ones and just made them fucking real evil. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I hated him so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Because, they, because they literally think he's in league with the devil because he should have fucking died. You know what? Wound. You know what? Fucking this, the best part about this whole, there's a few things that I love about these scenes, but the thing that stuck with me most is his love interest smile while she's saying burn him. Yes. So that yeah, they me. put him in a yoke and kick the shit out of him as they kick him out of the village. They kick him out of the village. I love how he's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. Yeah. And, and then, then they just smash, cut, smash, smash, <laughs> cut. Too, yeah. <laughs> they just smash they a smash bottle on his head. They smash a bottle on his head and that li- uh, motivates the cut to him getting yeah. the shit kicked out of him yeah. with a yoke outside. Is that um, what it's called? The wood bar? Yeah, Is that a, a yoke? A yoke? Yeah. Okay. Many headbutts. Does that dude that yeah. headbutts him a bunch of times? He's fucking loving life. They were cut out of the American version of this movie. Why? The American version of this movie is six minutes shorter than the version that we watched. What would? And I will highlight some of the more stuff. Okay. That, some more stuff that was cut out along the way. Do they just not like headbutts in America? I don't know. Headbutts some of the violence. Are, headbutts are seen to be super violent. Super I don't. Violent, in this yeah. country, in this country, we're a little bit more accustomed to well, that's headbutts. Because we're, we're, you know, uh, I mean, we're more closely aligned to to England, yeah, and Scotland, and we kind of have that, you know, biff kind yeah. of culture. Yeah, I mean, yeah, rugby league, yeah, has headbutts, yeah, or did back in the back yeah. in, this, in this yeah. era and head high tackles um, and no pads. 
yeah, the, in this bit where I, there's a sorry, I just want a tangent, and I'll, I might cut, <laughs> yeah, cut myself yeah, yeah. out. No, I won't because this is fascinating. So I there's YouTube channels where like Americans watch rugby league for the first yeah. time, right? Yeah, and they're like, oh, they're not wearing pads and they hit each other so hard. And it's like, motherfucker, you should Google. 80s rugby league because we used to take each other's fucking heads off. <laughs> like it's rugby league wild. is sanitized in this country now compared yeah. to what it used to be. I will say though, like NFL wearing those pads, they still take big hits. They would, but the, they the, fucking wreck each other thing. because of those pads. Yes, because yeah. they have the the safety and they still have the same fucking concussion problems that every other yeah. sport has. You were going to say that. Uh, what was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> Angus stops them from burning him um, and, they, oh, and they banish him. He's the only nice one. I, yeah. I just really appreciated how well they turned all his loved ones against him. And I kept kind of thinking like, this is almost kind of semi-accurate that what could have happened back in the day because he was seen as like the leader of this war that they just went and fought and kind of lost. Well, so he's they, not a leader. He's just a regular, a regular everyday clan. Student. Oh, he seemed like a leader of his clan. Just a clan dude. Oh. Because I was saying, I was thinking like, oh, maybe they would kind of turn on the leader if also, after a failure. They treat it like it's his first battle. Oh, uh, yeah. And they're not turning on him because he's the leader and they failed. They're turning on him because he's got the devil in him. Yeah. Maybe because that extra depth that I was just <laughs> talking about was completely fabricated because in my mind. Lucifer. Yeah. I uh, did like it when, was it his cousin was like, um, you're, he, he's like, I'm your cousin. He's like, no. Dougal. Don't, don't know who you are anymore. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. But, like, also, when they, like, when um, Angus helps him out and he goes, oh, we'll banish him but not kill him and, like, helps him out, he's like, thank you. And then the next shot is him walking up the hill, like, cut him out of the fucking thing, guys. Like, I know you hate him and you want him <laughs> gone, but at least cut him out of the thing. Mm. So he leaves the village and we get some shots of him walking in the in the yoke and stuff, and then he's sitting against a rock wall uh, looking sad, and we get a transition of his face to a face on a New York street. Yeah, so the, isn't like, it the Mona Lisa? It is the Mona. It is with Mona. bloodshot eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You couldn't um, see that on the um, VHS. You couldn't see the bloodshot yeah, eyes. You can yeah. see it on the on the Blu-ray. McLeod returns to his store, which is also his home. Um, inside his loft, which is a set in London, he's a fucking pimp. Yeah, his loft is like fucking amazing. Yeah, he's I had love many that. lifetimes to make money. Yeah, <laughs> I love that he's like every other piece of content where we see where it's like an ancient immortal who's like gone through the years and collected a wealth. They're always villains. <laughs> yeah. They're usually not. the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> he has a circular vault room, which is filled with objects from throughout his life and the ages he's lived in. This is what makes him feel like a villain. He goes and sits in his circle in room his circle and just vault. like stares at the camera. And he flashes back to Scotland and we see his kind of new life that he's, bi- that he's built for himself. He seems happy. He's got a new love, uh, Heather. And they're living in an old tower that seems like it's a fixer-upper that they're, that they're yeah. working on. And then we kind of go to them uh, outside, you know, having a picnic, making love in a field. Yeah. As the, the score starts to um, kick in. And then with the crash of thunder. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. We're not going to go over the line of, you can do this to me forever, my lord, after they've just finished having sex. Well, well that didn't really. I mean, isn't that what every guy wants to hear? <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Just leave me fucking I'm, hanging. I, I mean, that you know, that's all fun and all, but Sean, I mean, Sean Connery. Spanish peacock. <laughs> yeah. Sean motherfucking Connery leaps over them on a horse. Greetings, I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> Greetings. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. 
and I'm at your service. The absolute <laughs> fucking insanity. I mean, we've touched on it a few times <sighs> already, but casting Sean Connery as anything other than Scottish is so fucking ballsy yeah. that I just have to respect it. Anything from the United Kingdom? Okay. Anything yep. else? No. Yep. And as I said before, he's an Egyptian dressed as a Spaniard uh, acting against a f- Swiss-born Frenchman playing a Scot. <laughs> what a fucking mess. It's fucking glorious. I love his eyeliner in this film as yep. well. His eyeliner and goatee. Just, it's that's, the, his, that's the Egyptian part of it. I mean, I think honestly think this kind of cocaine-induced thinking <laughs> is what is missing from cinema. It really is. We need to inject more cocaine back into the film industry. We really do. Everyone's too clean and healthy. <laughs> we need some wild decisions made. Ramirez knows who McLeod is, and as they talk, McLeod begins to feel ill, and we get a couple of shots of him in pain as he's literally struck by lightning. They just cut to a cliff edge. Yeah, (laughs) which is also not Scotland, it's Wales. Uh, As Ramirez describes the sensation he's feeling as the quickening and that they are brothers. Yeah, I loved that. The thing that's great about Connery in this is he kind of like dances into this movie for like 10 minutes at the beginning of the second act and just lifts it. Like, just when this movie could become a slog, yeah. it doesn't because Sean Connery That's shows up. That's a fucking great shout. He literally just lifts the second, act of the second act of this movie. I will say about all of the immortals swing for the fences. Yeah. They really do. All yep. of them, no matter what their character is, they swing for the fences. Besides our main one, he kind of plays it a little bit more chill. There mm. are beats where he's amazing, though. Yeah. Back in the present in New York, Brenda meets with Frank and offers to take him to lunch, but it's a ruse so that she can sneak back into his office, saying that she left her purse behind to look at the files where she finds a photo of McLeod to find out that he is a suspect. Did you not bump on the line, you see what I have to deal with? His Vietnamese neighbour ate his dog. <laughs> I, I, I clocked it, but <laughs> okay, it's, okay, just, was... it's just one of the many textual... <laughs> I did not catch that line at all. Oh, I only caught it I the mean, second time. That is racist as fuck, but yeah. it's also it's also just part of the texture Very of many time. throwaway yeah. lines in this in this movie. Yeah, at McLeod's loft, he is sharpening his katana like a serial killer. Is that to like play into the thing how he's like lost chunks of it? No, I think it's just they needed him to do some business. Okay, um, and looking at a book about metallurgy written by Brenda, <laughs> and remembering something that Ramirez said to him. And then, oh my God, we're going to talk about this. The fish tank transition. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Hello there. That's where we're going to end part one of the Highlander discussion. Come back next week as we continue our in-depth discussion about fish tanks. Don't like, don't listen, don't subscribe, don't follow us on our social media at Weed Video and solo end scene, I guess. Got the devil in him.